1: Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cut podcast, a proud member of the Pitcher List podcast network. Reminder, you can always find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, leave us ratings, reviews. You can also find us on Twitter at Keep or Cut. This is Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. And Pete, we're getting back into our positional previews. Took a little detour last week with a mailbag. Yeah, that
2: was a fun episode. I, I enjoyed the questions. Thanks everybody for submitting those. It's fun seeing how like you know, we're, we're now almost a hundred episodes in. We have more and more people asking questions. It's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Episode 87 today. So, wow. uh, and, and I always enjoy those, those episodes because I like, we've talked about this on the show before, but like one of my favorite things about keeper leagues is that every keeper league is unique. And I, I just like hearing like, Oh, here's the guys I'm considering, but here's like three random things about my league and the way we handle keepers that you need to be aware of, or else you can't actually make a decision. It's like, Oh, interesting. That's a cool rule. And like, for our, our listener leagues right now as we're going through our offseason we're actually we're having a a rules debate a rules change we've got a couple of rule changes in league 2 and we got another one that we're we're sort of finishing up right now so it's always interesting hearing what other people do for their rules cuz can influence can influence us as well so for sure. uh, but that's not what we're here for today 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 is outfield day we'll start with outfield and then depending on how much time we have Pete i mean i we're we're in the midst of draft season already we had keepers due for our two listener leagues. We've already had keepers due for our new leagues. We've already done one auto new draft and we are in the middle of another, literally as we are recording right now, it's because it's a slow draft and so slow auction. And so we can we can record while while timers are ticking down. But yeah, lots to talk about. So let's start off with the outfield, though, and then we'll we'll get into some of this other stuff that is going on. As with the other positions, we'll go through our top 10s. These are top 10s for keeper leagues. As always, we assume sort of standard five by five, assume some sort of a, a keeper cost, right? I think, you know, we've talked about this before, but if there's no cost to keepers, then it, it changes the game a little bit. We also have assumed that there's a relatively deep bench of keepers, deep pool of keepers, I guess I would say. Again, nothing we've talked about in the past, but like if you're in a league that keeps three, and there's no cost associated with it, the rankings don't really matter past the top view because you're only keeping, you know, your first, second, third round picks anyways. If there's a cost associated with it, it gets more interesting to see like, okay, who's got more valuable? Who, who's gotten more valuable over the last year? Who's gotten less valuable over the last year? And if there's, you know, you're keeping eight, keeping nine, keeping 10 people, let alone in like an auto new league or a true dynasty league where you could be keeping 20, 25, 30, then those rankings matter a lot more further down. But outfield, I mean, realistically, your top 10 keeper outfielders, like even in a keep three, you could be keeping all of these guys could get kept, right? A league keeping 36, 37 players, 10 outfielders being kept isn't crazy. No, not at all. I think in my leagues
2: where there's no cost associated with keepers, I'm pretty sure that all 10 of the guys on my list and all 10 of the guys on your list are all being kept. So that is for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so let's go through those lists. And I'm I'm actually going to, I'm gonna do it a little bit differently this time because usually I like read through Pete's list and I read through my list, dude. but we have the same top nine, but in a different order, and then we have different number tens. So there are really only eleven guys between us that we we listed here, and I think it's one of the things we'll we'll talk about in a moment. But the nine guys we both have are, and I'll I'll read it in Pete's order first. Actually, I'm going to do this sort of back and forth. We have the same top two. You put Acuna Jr. first. I put him second. I put Julio Rodriguez first. You put him second. Our three, four, five are also the same, but in a different order. I went Judge, Tucker, Tatis. You went Tatis, Judge, Tucker. And then our six, let's see, what is it? It's our six, seven, and eight. No, 7, 8. Wait, hold on. Now I'm losing track of what I'm doing here. Our 6 and 7. Sorry. Alright. We got this now. Don't worry. Our <laughs> 6 and 7 are the same but in different order. You went, you, you went with Soto over Jordan Alvarez. I went with Alvarez over Soto. I'm already regretting that a little bit. And then we have the same 8 and 9. We both have bets 8, Trout 9. And then our number 10, I have Michael Harris. You've got Luis Robert. So, that was a little confusing. Let me read through Pete's list in my <laughs> list here. Ronald Acuna Jr., Julio Rodriguez, Fernando Tatis Jr., Aaron Judge, Kyle Tucker, Juan Soto, Jordan Alvarez, Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, Luis Robert for Pete. For me, J-Rod Acuna, Judge, Tucker, Tatis, Jordan, Soto, Betts, Trout, and Harris. So we can sort of debate some of these, you know, one versus two, things like that. I think there, there, there's some... It'll be interesting to talk about that. But the first thing I want to start with is we have literally 11 guys between us. That's it. That's, I think, like we have very rarely only had one different player. And usually you're looking at shallower positions. So in a deeper position, you'd expect more variety here. But I looked at this and it's like, yeah, I could see moving Robert up. I could see moving Harris off my list. I really couldn't think of any other candidate for one of those 10 spots. I don't think there was anyone else I really seriously considered. And I just like, that seems interesting to me. Like, it's it's surprising to me that it is such a shallow pool of guys who even are in consideration for top 10.
2: Yeah, no, that that actually makes a lot of sense to me. I think part of it is there's been such a premium put on speed over the last few years that those guys like Eloy, maybe Teoscar Hernandez, even though he's good to steal a couple bases, certainly Nick Castellanos before this most recent year, like obviously this most recent year, he's kind of fallen off. But before that, he wasn't quite in that uh, that super expensive group because he didn't provide speed. I think you'll find that with all of these names, unless they are just like one of the best pure hitters in baseball like Soto, Judge and Alvarez, they're such outliers that that's kind of the common denominator you need to get speed out of your early outfielders and so that really limits the pool at least. Now, who knows what the conversation will be next year with the rule changes and I think speed is going to kind of be up across the board and that's certainly not an original thought in the fantasy community. It's just one that I tend to concur with.
1: Yeah, and I'm 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 looking now at NFBC ADP I've filtered it down to outfielders and drafts over the last two weeks. And the top of the NFBC ADP is, it's my 10. It's not my 10 in order necessarily, but it is the same 10 guys. Robert is 13th. 11th. Well, number 12 on that list is Dalton Varsho. But that is obviously, like, he wouldn't be the 12th outfielder off the board in NFBC. He's just looks like it because he's a catcher. But number 11 is Randy Rosarena. So I like. I went with Harris as my number 10. He's number 10 here. You went with Robert, number 13. We can ignore Varsho. Neither of us considered Randy. Should we have? Was it a mistake to not consider him?
2: I had to consider him just because I feel like I've, I've just missed out on him so much. I wrote up about him last year that he was a bust and obviously that didn't work out. Uh, he's a guy I've never rostered. I think he's He's one of those players, kind of like Altuve, that's shown that he can outperform his expected statistics with his athleticism and his, his just, he's a BABIP guy. Those guys are always kind of hard to to pin down. Last year, a BABIP of 325. The year before that, a BABIP of 363. It's it's almost like it reminds me of the Javier Baez days where it's like, do you want to continue to roll the dice that he's going to continue to put up that kind of BABIP? Or are you going to be a little cool on him? And just because I I, I think Luis... Robert, assuming he plays a full season, which is a ridiculous assumption at this point, I think he's a much better player, sure, and, a, and definitely a better hitter. But a Rosarina, sure. I mean, hey, how can you disagree with twenty homers and thirty-two stolen bases? Like he
1: he was awesome last
2: season for fantasy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm a fan of Randy for for five by five. Actually, a sort of fan of him for fantasy in general. I think one of those leagues that that I mentioned that we're drafting right now, the one with the slow auction going on right now, is this Auto New Podcasters League. That uh, Derek Van Riper of the Athletic set up. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about this league because it's a it's a a great group of people. I'm super excited about it. But I, I spent. I mean, I, I spent 22 bucks on Randy. I was pretty happy with that price. I think for a guy who's a, you know, if you look at his NFBC ADP, if you look about what we're talking about now, a borderline top ten outfielder. Like I was, I was really happy with that price on him. I paid the same price for Brian Reynolds. Who I who's more like a top 20 outfielder, I think, for 5 by 5 And I was happy with that, too. So I, I'm excited about him. I like Randy. For me, the reason I couldn't bring myself to strongly consider him for my top 10 is I'm not sure how much I believe in the skills long term. He He chases a decent amount. He is... You know, last year he brought his strikeout rate down to 24.2%, but it's been up closer to 28, 29, 30%. And he doesn't have enough power to make up for that, right? Like if, you, if you're striking out 30% of the time, but hitting 40 bombs, so be it. If you're striking out 28% of the time, like he has traditionally in hitting 20 home runs, it's a little bit iffier. And so, I don't know. I, I worry that as he ages, if he doesn't run as much, things like that, if if the bat speed slows down a little bit, it's just, it feels like a profile that could degrade more than some of the others. And, you know, I preface this by pointing out that I just picked him up for a decent price in a league. Like, I I am high on Randy and I don't want to make it sound like I'm like, oh, fade Randy, he's terrible. Like, I have, I have no issue with him going where he's going in drafts. I just, from a keeper perspective long-term, he strikes me as the kind of guy who, like, we're going to look up and, like, June or July one year and be like, oh, he's kind of done, and it'll catch us by surprise when it happens, and and so I, I tend to fade that profile a bit in keeper formats, and so it's why he's a little lower for me. Yeah, I don't disagree with any
2: of that, and that's that's a lot of the concerns that I've had about Randy Reyna. and I think that was part of my write up last year. It's just I look at the the other two names there, the one that you have and the one that I have at number ten, they're actually kind of similar in that there's a chase problem. They don't get on base by walking. Maybe they're gonna be a little too BABIP dependent. The one key difference, and, and I guess this is what this is why I went with Luis Robert over both of Michael Harris Jr. and Randy Rosarena, is that his ground ball rate is not nearly as bad. Both Randy Rosarena and especially Michael Harris Jr. had exorbitant walk, uh, I'm sorry, ground ball rates last year. I mean, Michael Harris is with 56%. So, I mean, we can circle it back to Randy Rosarena, but when consider, did I consider him? He's so similar to Michael Harris Jr., just older. <laughs> and there's there's definitely more power with Harris Jr., at least what we saw in that very, very small sample. I hesitate to say there's that much more power because I do think a Rosarena could hit more than 20 homers next year if he, if he figures out that ground ball rate. But that that's kind of why I went Robert, and I'm with you on a Rosarena. Yeah.
1: I like him, just not. That yeah, I think that the the thing with Harris that that's different for me. There's there's sort of a couple things. One is he's run higher walk rates in the minors and lower strikeout rates. So he, his his track record on plate discipline suggests he could improve from where he was as a rookie. And while you said the same, but older. One of the big differences with older is like Harris isn't even 22 yet. So I'm not I'm not ready to call him a finished product. Now that is not to say that Randy Arroserena at you know t- almost 28. I mean he's they're almost exactly six years apart. But at at almost 28, it's not like Arroserena can't improve. But we're much. It's much more likely that what we're looking at with Arroserena is a finished product. I don't know that that's true with Harris, given what I see in the minors. The other is Rosarena has hit. 20 home runs each of the last two seasons in 604 and 645 plate appearances. Harris at 19 as a rookie and 441 plate appearances. So I do think there's more power there. And yes, I agree. A Rosarena could hit for more power as well. But I, again, I, I just, to me, there's a little bit more room for growth and Harris doesn't have to grow to catch a Rosarena. So that's my, if neither of them develops or changes from where they are, they're pretty equal. And if, and I think there's a better chance of Harris getting to another
2: level. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think if there's if there's costs associated with keepers in your league and you're drafting fresh, there's very little chance I'm going to end up with Michael Harris Jr. I think that's that's right around where I want to address maybe second base, um, or it. if if one of the elite starting pitchers fell, maybe maybe then. But yeah, I I think I'm more likely to have a Rosarena even in keeper leagues if we're drafting fresh than Harris Jr. I just i'm cool i'm cool enough yeah i mean
1: and they're going like if i look at n f b c adp harris is going twenty fifth so you know right at the turn end of the second start of the third round a rosa rain is going thirty six so now you're getting the end of the third start of the fourth round that's a pretty different spot right i mean if you if you're drafting let's say eleventh on a twelve teamer and you want harris you you might be able to get him with your third round pick, but you probably have to take him in the second. A Rosarena, you might get in the fourth. And especially when you start thinking about keeper right. costs, that's a pretty significant difference, right? You could be talking about like, if you have to grab Harris in the second and or instead hope that a Rosarena falls to you in the fourth, you're talking about a third versus a first round pick potentially as your cost, if the cost is a round up. like that, That's a pretty big difference. That that makes a ton of sense in in startup keeper leagues. There's just there isn't that long-term upside with Harris because he's so expensive. So let's jump back to the yeah. top of our top 10s. And we both had Julio Rodriguez and Ronald Acuna Jr. as our top two. I had him in that order. You had him the opposite. Make the case for Acuna over J-Rod. Sure. Well, at the recent
2: trade stuff, I'm not going to lie, actually has me maybe a little concerned. Uh, I, who knows how substantiated that is? I don't is. think that's and real. It, it's probably just because... I uh, yeah I hope not. I just spent fifty nine dollars on him in that 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 auction we're in. So you know, hopefully, hopefully that's all fine. I I I don't know. I'm happy with either. I'll make a case for Acuna Jr. Obviously, a longer track record though. And I think you're when you're talking about a player of Julio Rodriguez's caliber, I, I don't even care about track record. I don't know if you saw that epic home run trot he had in Venezuela and a month ago or so. Uh, he hit a home run left handed. Like <laughs> he's in pretty freakish shape at the moment. He said.
1: He did a um, home run left-handed from at Julio Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. yeah just for- hit a left-handed home run. No,
2: no, no. Oh, Acuna, Acuna did. did. Julio, Julio Rodriguez hits a lot of left-handed home. No, runs. they're both yeah. they're both
1: righties, aren't they? Oh, I thought Julio was. I think they're uh, isn't Julio a lefty? Van says he's a righty. I'm going to trust them over your memory. No. Then I then I got that but right. But yeah. Either way, but Acuna—they're both righties. Either Acuna, Acuna hit hitting a lefty a home, run home, run home run is something. That's that's crazy. <laughs> Anyways, go on.
2: <laughs> yeah. And he was quoted, this is from at Justin C. Toscano on Twitter. He said, I'm feeling 100%. I'm ready to go back to normal. I definitely don't want to play DH anymore. He seems like a guy who's just like chomping at the bit. And he he was pretty close to, I mean, all of a sudden, third base was getting questionable. So Joe Ram passed him. But before the ACL tear, Acuna was like as number 1 of the number 1 overall pick as as there was like he was a pretty safe pick at number 1. So you look at the steamer projections which you know take him with a grain of salt but 109 runs, 31 homers, 81 RBI, 35 steals and a 270 average. And this is just his age 25 season like that I, I don't age doesn't come into me that or yeah. come to come into a factor for me. His walk rate skyrocketed before his injury, becoming he was becoming more of a complete hitter. And for what it's worth, his, his whiff percentage last year was about league average at 25%. I think that's important for him. It was the lowest of his career, despite clearly like pressing and chasing more to find his groove. So I, I think he's just primed for a monster season. That lineup is so good. It's a much better place to hit than, than what Julio Rodriguez is going to have to deal with in Seattle. So I'd take Acuna, but I'd gladly, if I have to take Rodriguez number two, that's fine. <laughs> All right. So
1: my issue with Acuna, and really the reason I have him, second and you know maybe this is an overreaction to one season but last year he he was chasing more he was hitting more ground balls and if you dig more into what was going on there were a couple of things that are a little concerning about that one is his increased swing rate was almost entirely down and his chase rate increase in chase rate was almost entirely out of the zone down so that like it wasn't just that he was swinging more he was he had shifted his approach in some way to be more aggressive down in the zone, which is I don't think a productive place for him to be and is probably tied to why he's hitting more ground balls. That chase rate was also increasing as the season goes on, right? So if you look at a a rolling chart of his chase rate, it, it's increasing as the season goes on. So there, there's a little bit of a... I don't know, when I mention his chase rate, you get a little bit of a, a narrative of like, oh, he's coming back from the injury, he was pressing, blah blah blah, which makes sense, but it got worse, not better, right? It wasn't like he was pressing and then he settled in and look how great he was. It was he was pressing and then he started pressing more, maybe. I don't know. And, and I think that's enough for me to nudge Rodriguez up given how good Rodriguez was last year. And the fact that, you know, sort of like we talked about with Harris a moment ago, like, I don't know that it's a given that we've seen everything there is to see from J-Rod, right? He's 22, 22 in a month at this point, 22, a month and a half. So he's, uh, he's still young and he is already being, you know, he is not like a clear cut first overall pick but his ADP is 3rd among outfielders after Acuña and Judge and he has been picked as early as 1st in his latest 6 that is the same as Acuña that's the same as Judge in NFBC over the last 2 weeks so he is already a guy who were like yeah i mean he's right in there with those top guys and there might be more coming so that that to me plus the the slight issues from Acuna last year is just enough, just enough to nudge him to first.
2: So I, I get that. And like, again, I'm, I'm not really in the interest of arguing against Julio Rodriguez, but it if the knock against Acuna is, is a plate discipline issue that seemed to escalate as the year went on last year. I mean, Julio Rodriguez was, was chasing more than Acuna when Acuna was at his worst yeah. that we've seen him when it comes to chase, And actually it wasn't really that close. I mean, if we're saying that, Acuna's chase rate last year, twenty four point three percent, was the worst of his career, which it was. Five years of of play. Julio Rodriguez's chase rate last year was thirty three and a half percent. So, I I mean, again, I I'd gladly take either, but I'm looking at Acuna as like if that's my worst case scenario with Acuna because I I don't really have a reason to think he's going to be worse than he was last year. I, I don't know for what sure. reasoning could be for him to be worse. We've seen what his what I think his floor is. I, I'm just more comfortable taking him, but I, I'd gladly take either. I, I would be surprised if, given the given the progress we've seen from Acuna in terms of his walk rate, I'd be surprised if he ends up with a worse strikeout rate than Julio uh, than Julio Rodriguez next year. I think he it, it's going to be close. Yeah. I would I would bet my
1: money on him having a better strikeout rate. That makes sense, and I think I you, you are absolutely right. That's probably his floor, but. He also wasn't as good as Rodriguez last year, and right? It wasn't just like he chased less for sure, but the overall line just wasn't as good. So that's, that's sort of where I am. But I, I honestly, I think it's splitting hairs a little bit, right? Like if you want to tell me you'd rather have Acuna, I'm not going to tell you, you shouldn't <laughs> like, that's that's a totally reasonable place to be. There was there was a tweet earlier today getting sent around about like, you know, th- this, I think probably dubious or this, yeah, this uh, probably not real Acuna trade rumor. And there was a, a Yankees fan, because it's always a Yankees fan. It was like, who would you trade for Acuna? Everyone except Volpe? And it's like, oh, and I think it was a- Eric Cross replied or, or quote tweeted. It was like, this is such a silly thing. But like, and, you know, Eric's a, like you, a Red Sox fan. He's like, they could have the system. They could have every prospect we have. I would I would send our entire farm to Atlanta to get Acuna on our team. And like, that's totally reasonable. That's a perfectly reasonable reaction. So I, I'm not going to tell you that you should be switching them either. So <laughs> let's look a little further down our list. We both had, well, we both had Judge, Tucker, and Tatis as our next three. You had Tatis over Judge and over Tucker. I had him after both of them. I had Judge Tucker Tatis. You had Tatis Judge Tucker. I mean, given, it seems aggressive to me. Like, you know, obviously we we have a longer track record than the last 12 months or the last 18 months for that matter. But over the last 18 months, what's happened is you've had one guy set the American League home run record and the other guy has not played baseball in forever because he can't get out of his own way long enough to stay on the field. I find it, I get it. I get what Tatisa's ceiling is. I'm just, I don't know. It took a lot for me to put him in at number five instead of dropping him much lower on my list. But you put him ahead of Judge.
2: Yeah, I mean, at number one, it is, it is Keeper League rankings. And I think, you know, I... I expect Aaron Judge to hit 60 homers a season because I'm a Red Sox fan, but there's a couple <laughs> things at play there, right? He is significantly yeah. older than Tatis Jr. And while he is my number one player in head-to-head, which I've talked about in the past, my mindset with head-to-head categories as opposed to Roto, just give me the power beast. I don't really care so much about the speed. Sure. I, I, I think when people say that they're worried about Tatis and their, you know, He's, he had the shoulder surgery, he had the wrist surgery, he, he was suspended, all that stuff. That like, by saying it's a risk to take Tatis early, I think you're taking just as much of a risk thinking that he might not be as good as he was before. Because if he's the same guy as he was in 2021, he's the best player in fantasy baseball. He just is the last time we saw this guy forget about the stack cast sliders which are like not only in in the, like the 90th percentile for everything he's like at the top he's in the 98th 99th or 100th percentile in just about every hitting category you'd want to look at obviously besides strikeout rate and chase right in 546 plate appearances it feels like an eternity ago this was just 2021 99 runs 42 homers 97 rbi 25 stolen bases in a 282 average which is very very good like, that is, that's craziness. Yeah. He's 24 years old. He might, out, out of all those players, and Acuna's in a very good lineup, Tatis might now be in the best lineup of all of them. Now, obviously, you're, you're, you're losing a month of this season, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's just as much of a gamble
1: to think he won't be that guy as it is to think he will be that guy. See, I just think early in a draft, I'm a big believer that you can't win your draft in the first two, three rounds, but you can lose it. And I, I do agree there is a price at which, I mean Tatis right now over this last two weeks his ADP is seventeen point three, so he's going you know fifteen teamers early second round in in twelve teamers sort of mid second round, and part of that is factoring in you know the month missed right you, you guarantee a month off the season that that's going to lower his value, but I. To me, that's still at a point where, if the risk of him not being right is greater than the upside of him being, because I, anybody you take at that point could have a huge season. To see just think, really think his is, it, but a huge season
2: for Tatis, I think, is different than a huge season for you know if we if we look at who's going around that that range, Tr- like I mean, Trout's the next outfielder being taken. Sure, but he, and uh, He might be a little bit of an exception, but like uh, Austin Riley, do we expect him to be that much better? Like what would a huge Devers season in the Red Sox current state of lineup look like? I think what, when we say a huge ceiling season for Fernando Tatis Jr, he is on a different planet than every available player other than like Acuna and he, J-Rod. He actually. could
1: be, he could be right. And I, and I think that's where for me, the risk there is it's just too much. It's just too much. Like, Guys coming off of wrist injuries struggle and guys coming off of shoulder injuries struggle and guys coming back from suspensions often struggle. And now we've got a guy coming back from all three at the same time. Like he had a significant wrist injury, a significant shoulder injury and missed, you know, half a season from, from a suspension. Like let's not forget he, he, his shoulder popped out of place and it was, he didn't even go on the injured
2: list like three days later. He was like better than he was before. He's a little, he's a little superhuman, and I get it. Yeah. I, like I, I don't disagree. Wrist injuries, all that stuff, it hurts, guys. But how many, you know, twenty-four year olds, arguably best player in baseball, has that happened to? So I, I, I think he's he's his own case. You're right. It, it's a huge, huge gamble. But man, I the upside is without question the number one player in fantasy baseball, which Judge just was, to be fair. But when you factor in the age, I
1: think. It's a narrow, yeah. narrow victory for Tatis for me. Man. Yeah, I'm I, I am obviously like I'm just not gonna have Tatis anywhere this year. Like that's just clearly not gonna be in the cards for me because I'm just I'm not willing to pay that premium price. So anyways, after Judge Tucker Tatis or Tatis Judge Tucker, we've got Jordan Alvarez. I have Jordan Alvarez, then Soto. You have Soto, then Jordan Alvarez. And then we both have betts and trout. Um, and right before we recorded, you were, you were looking at bets, and you were like, Oh, I should have bets higher than this. I don't know why I've got them all the way down at eight. And then you decided you couldn't move him up. So talk to me a little bit, about, like both why you thought like this is too low for him. And then why you ended up deciding, nah, it's not. Cause I,
2: well, the, the, not's not, I'll answer that first. Cause I remembered we are, we are <laughs> this is a keeper league podcast. This is a keeper league. It's just, I am because I'm in full blown, like draft mode right now, I have, I have Mookie pretty high on my board and looking at this, I was like, man, how could I be quote unquote low on Mookie bets? I mean, you can't be low on Mookie when you look at the seven names in front of him, but that, that's why I had him a little bit lower. I think if I, if, if it was head to head now, I, even in, even in Roto, I think I'd want to switch Jordan with Soto to be like you. And it's funny because you said you wanted to switch Soto and Jordan to be like me. So <laughs> maybe we're, we're a little bit of uh, uh, opposites here. I, this is a tough range to rank. I think we just saw basically like the 40th percentile or 30th percentile outcome for Juan Soto obviously he's he's a much better player but when you when we're also coming off a season in which Jordan Alvarez became a first round pick essentially where he was absolutely unbelievable burst on the scene is like the Aaron Judge of of the Houston Astros it's it was really hard to put Soto in front of him so that's a very close group of three obviously if you favor the speed you go for bets if you're you know, worried about age, you go for
1: Soto or Alvarez. Again, you just can't go wrong here with these first nine names. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree that you you can't really go wrong here. I think it's more clear to me that Betts is in the right spot and belongs below those two. Like I I don't think like yeah, there is the speed, but like you know, Betts used to be a guy who stole twenty five to thirty bases. His last. Now, one of these years was the 2020 shortened season, but still, his last three years, 10, 10, and 12, he's had this hip issue. I don't think he's stealing a bunch of bases, and he may be the the counterpoint to all the like, oh, there's new rules, and everyone's going to run more and blah blah blah. It's like, yeah, except for players going into their age 30 seasons with bad hips, they're <laughs> they're not going to run more. So, I I I don't know. I think like any reasonable projection for him is 10 to 15 stolen bases. And I kind of think that might be high. Like if we're getting into bold prediction season, which we're going to get into soon, bold predicting Mookie Betts to steal five bases. Seems like it's a possibility like that. That feels not out of the question. If he's not sort of fully healthy, especially given we know that like, you know, the the Dodgers are a pretty analytical team and like. They're not going to, they don't need him to run. That's not where they're gonna get value from him and they know it and he knows it. So I don't know. I, I, I don't I think there's there isn't enough upside in his stolen bases for me, and there's enough risk in it. There's it's just not enough there for me to be like, yeah, we should definitely move him up. You add in the fact that like and I'm getting nitpicky here because I'm not worried about his hip necessarily. But Could be he's soon. had injury issues, right? And like you don't know when that's gonna creep you know, become a real issue. And it's to some level when you're trying to like pick nits between Jordan Alvarez and Soto. Part of the reason I've been thinking about, maybe I should have flipped them and put Soto ahead of Jordan is we know Alvarez has the knee issues and they seem fine. I, again, I am not drafting him thinking like, Oh, better discount him because his knees have been bad. But like, if you're asking me for the next five years, three to five years, who do I like better, Juan Soto or Jordan Alvarez? I got to find some way to differentiate between them. And it might just be that that slightly elevated injury risk is enough to move Jordan down and Soto up. I don't know. But I I have no issue with either of those two in either order. I do think Betts belongs behind them. And I think that Trout is the obvious next choice after that. And then We already talked about this sort of Harris versus Robert versus, you know, should Randy or Reyna be in the mix? And I'm okay with all of this. Any other thoughts on the top 10 before we jump to our other topics? Yeah, I think it's just more of
2: my last thought here is appreciation for Jordan Alvarez. Uh, The reason why I wanted to put him over Juan Soto for what you had is because like, as much as I love Juan Soto, if we're talking just a category league, what what advantage does soto have over jordan like what what category is soto going to outperform him in i i don't know what it is is it stolen bases by 4 you know like i it he could Juan Soto could hit for a good batting average. He did not last year. Jordan will hit for a good batting average. Jordan could conceivably hit 20 more home runs than Juan Soto. Soto could repeat last year, hit 27, and it wouldn't shock anybody if Jordan hits 47. The lineup around Jordan is, is just as good as the lineup around Soto. So I think that's, that's the issue I'm having is I was like lost in the name, like, oh, keeper league, Juan Soto, that sounds amazing. But I don't know in a category league where the advantages of drafting Soto over Jordan, other than just the knees. Like you said, Soto has been reliable yeah. and Yordan's had issues in the hand issue last year. That was, that was tough on Jordan.
1: I think if you look over the last two seasons combined, right? Because you've got Alvarez sort of breaking out in 2022 Soto having the down year in 2022. So like, let's, let's average it out a little bit over the last two seasons combined. Alvarez has 70 home runs to Soto's 56. Soto has 15 stolen bases to Alvarez's two. So 14 extra home runs versus 13 extra stolen bases over the two seasons is probably a slight advantage to the stolen bases in terms of value. But given, I don't think Soto's going to run a ton. Yeah. I'm not sure how much that really matters. Soto scored 204 runs to 187 for Alvarez. I think he'll maintain that type of advantage because He's just such a ridiculous on-base percentage beast. Not that, not that Alvarez doesn't get on base, but Soto is just in another, another world. Alvarez 201 RBIs to Soto's 157. So that's a that's a pretty sizable gap, but it's gonna shrink quite a bit because Soto is not with the Nationals anymore. <laughs> and that's gonna make a huge difference, right? He is in a much, much better lineup. Like, if you think that. Tatis is putting up 90 runs again or a 90 run pace, let's say 95 run pace over whatever. Like someone's driving him in. <laughs> it's it's right. Like, so I I there's gonna be a lot of RBI opportunities for Soto. And then batting average, 277 for Soto, 291 for Alvarez. It's it's pretty even, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I think it, it does come down to a question of like, do I think Soto's gonna or yeah, do I think Soto's gonna steal five more, six more. Bases like he has on average, and if he does, it's it's evenish. If he doesn't, then Alvarez is probably the better fantasy player this year. Yeah, so just wild to think about, but but I think he is. Yeah. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue going through outfielders. All right, welcome back. As always, we like to look at best and worst ADP values as well as prospects to stash. We've already gone through our outfield top tens. So let's start with our best ADP value. And this is an interesting one because he just went up for auction in this podcast league that we're playing in this afternoon. Well, this morning, I guess he went up last night. I don't know. But he just finished auctioning in that league. And he went for a pretty low price, which I think sort of fits what you're saying here. And I assume that's saying
2: because I have not seen him go up for auction. But um, oh, did you miss
1: it? Yeah. Nine dollars.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to be out. My outfield is very expensive right now, but, but yeah, just Giancarlo Stanton seeing him go so late is a little surprising. I think definitely eye opening for those of us that have been playing for a while because he has lost absolutely nothing in terms of quality of contact. I mean, he, he is still 99th percentile average exit velocity, a hundred percentile uh, max exit velocity, like across the board. It's, it's what you would normally expect. He had a terrible year in terms of batting average, and that's obviously going to be a risk if you roster Giancarlo Stanton that he could bat pretty low. But the strikeout rate was was up over 30%, and it hadn't been there for a couple of years, and the walk rate was still excellent. His performance against fastballs went down drastically, and that is concerning to me. Uh, he hit uh, 309 against fastballs in 2021 and 205 against fastballs in 2022. So if that is Giancarlo Stanton slowing down, then obviously we have a major issue there if it's not and that number comes back up again then the batting average is going to come up to a reasonable level and he's he's a 40 homer 100 RBI candidate that you're getting in pick 150 which is a little absurd to me and you could say well you know Hunter Renfro's going after him in the last 2 years Hunter Renfro has also been awesome i think there's just a little bit of of risk there um i i don't know how sticky that is where i think Giancarlo Stanton is going to finish his career potentially as a borderline hall of famer and has the track record to back it up and hunter renfro aside you're really getting towards the end of like reasonable outfielders of like starting quality outfielders and guys you feel comfortable with slotting in every weekend for all three games and Stanton is is marking the beginning of the end there so yankee lineup's great it's a good ballpark to hit in um i'm not ready to give up on Giancarlo Stanton, but watch the Watch the ability against fastballs early in the season. Yeah, it's interesting.
1: You you mention Renfro. So Stanton, as you said, he's the thirty fourth outfielder off the board in NFBC. Andrew Vaughn is the next one after him over the last two weeks, and then Hunter Renfro after him. Stanton, as I mentioned in this podcaster league, went for nine dollars in our art the slow portion of our auction. Came off the board earlier today. I have Hunter Renfro in that league. I picked him up for the same $9 and I was not willing to go to 10 on Stanton. And I think it gives you a good sense of sort of where I am with them, that I think they are relatively similar. Interestingly, the guy in between them is Andrew Vaughn, who is currently on the board. And I am leading the bidding for him at nine dollars so that's apparently the nine dollar range of five by five outfielders I, I didn't really quite realize that but that's it's sort of funny they're all you know we'll see there's still eight hours left so there's no guarantee that i'm gonna win vaughn for that nine dollars but yeah just fascinating they're all going for that same price there, there's a really good article on fan graphs it was let's see we're recording this on the 11th so it was nine days ago february 2nd esteban rivera Esteban is a you know, contributing writer at Fangraphs, but he also writes at Pinstripe Alley. Obviously, when you, you know, I, anytime I see that someone wrote for someone like Pinstripe Alley, I'm like, eh, Yankees fan. Of course, he's biased. But like, there's there's a nice balance here where if he's writing for Fangraphs, there's there's reason to believe that he knows his stuff too. So he's actually sort of a perfect person, I think, in some ways to analyze Stanton because he knows him well as a, as a fan, but also as a a good analyst who can who can break him down and he talks about some of the stuff you talked about what he comes away with is a conclusion that stanton faded in in a lot of those areas as the season went on because of injuries right his his body is breaking down which we know and basically where he where you you know Reading sort of the the end of his article, he says, none of these injuries were major long-term concerns, but they were enough to compromise his swing and performance. Assuming he enters 2023 fully recovered from these issues, there's no question in my mind he has the skills to deliver a 130 to 140 WRC plus season each year, but he will need to be conscious about any injury impacts his swing as he enters the latter half of his career. And I I think that's a really, I think it's just a great astute point and it's well, go read the article because the article is fantastic, but it's a great astute point that like, it's not just the missed time that these, these injuries add up to, right. They, they impact his ability to perform. And so it creates an interesting decision point when you're thinking about where to and when to draft Stanton, that if he's healthy, he could put up a huge year. Right. I mean, like, you know, it seems crazy to think about it, but like, if, if, if if I told you somebody was going to hit 60 home runs this year and it's not Aaron Judge, Stanton's as good a guess as any, right? If he stays healthy and plays enough, like he's got the talent to do that. But it's not just that he might only get into 100 games, 120 games. It's also that 40, 50 of those games, he might not be himself. So it's it's a real tough ch- risk to take. But I think, I think you're right that where you're looking at him, you're looking at like a 11th or 12th round pick, 12th or 13th round pick, something like that. Like you're you're getting you know the upside there, I mean, I, you know, the 60 home run thing, like he's not Judge and he's not going to be Judge. That's not the right comparison. But like Kyle Schwarber is the 14th outfielder off the board at pick 47. You're telling me that Giancarlo Stanton if he's healthy can't put up a Kyle Schwarber season? Like he certainly can. And I don't want to bet on that. I don't want to make, I don't want to make the same, I don't want to pay the same price for those guys. But I, there, there is a, I, I think Stanton is at a price where it's worth the risk. I think like the upside is huge. He's an interesting one in head to head leagues, because if he's healthy for the playoffs, he could win you a matchup in the playoffs. But that's the part of the season I'm least confident. Like reading that article by, by Esteban Rivera, part of what it struck for me is like, if these are things that are going to linger with him as the season goes on, it means his value is going to drop as the season goes on. So it it makes him a challenge in that format. But for me, when I was looking for best ADP value, I sort of surprised myself because this isn't a guy that I've been super high on and his ADP is kind of early for me to be claiming he's the, the best value. But Cedric Mullins... Over the last two weeks, his ADP is around 52. So he's a, you know, fifth-ish, mid-fifth round pick. And the reason I picked him is he's going, like I said, 52. His, on the player rater, the Raswell player raider last year, his season was the 27th best fantasy season. Now, there is some, not just some, there's lots of reason to discount that because the stolen bases, we talk about this all the time with the player raters, they overrate stolen bases. So instead of 27, maybe he should be 37, something like that. But that still is like a round and a half discount on what I think we have to consider a floor season for Cedric Mullins, right? I mean, you look at what he did in 2021, 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases, 291 average. Then in 2022, He he posts basically the same strikeout rate. He walks a little less, which makes sense given the less power. But he had 16 home runs instead of 30. He still stole 34 bases and his batting average dropped all the way to 258. And I I don't know. I mean, I look at that and it's like, I don't see a lot of reason to think that he's going to get worse. Uh, Now, is he going to repeat what he did in 2021? I don't think so. I wasn't like I wasn't buying him repeating that last year. I'm certainly not buying him repeating it after the down year in between. But he doesn't have to. Like if he puts up that same down year, you're going to be thrilled with him at a 5th round pick. And if he adds four or five more home runs and if the batting average creeps back up to 265, 270, I mean, like that 258, not only was he 291 in 2021, he was 271 in 2020. Like I find it hard to believe he's going to hit. I think he's going to hit more home runs. I think he's going to hit for a higher average, and that offense is going to be better. So I think his runs and RBIs will go up. So you add all that up, and I don't know. It feels like his floor should be 15 picks earlier than where he's going. So if I can, if I can get him at what I think is a price lower than his floor, and know that that 2021 ceiling exists. That's that's great value.
2: Yeah, he he's definitely an interesting case because you know we spent a lot of time talking about Randy Arozarena and I think it's just like Randy Arozarena's numbers under the hood don't look that great, but he put up numbers. Cedric Mullins' numbers didn't look that great under the hood, but he didn't put up numbers. I mean, I say he didn't put up numbers. He still had a great season: sixteen homers, thirty four steals. But I do kind of view those guys similarly. So the fact that there is that gap is a little bit odd. Obviously, the Orioles lineup is getting better. Obviously, the Switch in the ballpark there. The adjustments they made in left field don't really affect Cedric Mullins that much. He is an interesting case where, like, the barrel rate plummeted. I mean, that 8.1, if you're getting an 8.1% barrel rate from Cedric Mullins, if you're getting that from most players, it's not that great. But if you're getting that from someone of Cedric Mullins' profile who pulls the ball and is very fast with you stolen bases, you're taking that. It's just weird because his. Average exit velocity didn't even go down a, a full mile an hour. He's still pulling the ball. He wasn't hitting the ball on the ground that much more. It was just this odd 4% increase in his uh, pop-up rate. And like that has that has been an issue for him a, a few times in his career. So I'm not entirely sure what that's all about. I'm, I'm willing to write it off as a little bit fluky because even with that taking place, he still put forward a pretty awesome season, like you said. So I like Mullins there. It's definitely early for a best value pick. But I think that's kind of a testament to how thin outfield can get, and so you you want to get your studs yeah. early. And I still consider him a stud.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the 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 thing that's sort of beautiful about it is if his if he ends up being a you know a round and a half like again if his floor is a round and a half more valuable than where he's being drafted, you're taking him as the fifteenth outfielder off the board, and you're getting a maybe a top ten outfielder, but probably a top. 12 outfielder, like that, that's a pretty nice little boost, right? He also, he can be in, in like a, you know, whether it's a three outfielder, four outfielder, five outfielder, outfielder league, if he can be your outfielder number one and provide top 12 value without having to use a top 12 value pick, that means that you're that much better at some other position and you can still come back with a really good second outfielder and be an, I I don't know. I really like that value. So I agree. I, I never would have imagined myself saying like, oh, this guy's going in the top, almost the top 50. He's the best value, but kind of think he is. So let's flip it though. Let's look the other direction. Worst ADP. I'm going to go with mine first because I think yours is going to be more controversial. Uh, <laughs> I know it is because I'm going to be, I'm going to argue with you. But now, interestingly, when we made this list, because we made this list a couple weeks ago when we we're getting ready for our last episode, the guy I picked was going 98th. He is now going 91st. So his ADP has gone down, gone better, gone closer to the beginning of the draft by half a round. That's Byron Buxton. And I just I, I I don't I don't see it. I don't get it. Uh the you know, sort of the opposite of what we were talking about with Mullins just now, the floor on Buxton is so low. It's so low. Like and and it's not just by the way the floor of what if he you know only plays 80 games which is i mean 80 games would be kind of a lot for him so like forget even leaving aside the like how many games is he going to play thing he had a 2.24 average last year he stole a total of 6 bases and he is running less and less like he also, like a lot of the projections, have him 10 11 stolen bases. But, sort of like we said, I was saying with Mookie Betts before, you know, you want to make a bold prediction that Byron Buxton doesn't try to steal a base this year. That's not a crazy bold prediction. He shouldn't. He should not try to steal bases under any circumstances. He's going to, he is not helpful in batting average. I don't like, I mean, he, I don't know. I guess I should be careful when I say there. In 2021, he had a 306 average with a 344. BAPIP. He has not consistently put up BAPIPs like that. And I think the 224 average this year is, I don't know, maybe goes 240, something like that. 245 is where I think he might be, but there's a floor to be much lower than that. His strikeout rate jumped to 30%. That was in part because he got a lot more patient, which he needed to do because he needed to walk more, but it's not going to help if he's striking out a ton. You're you're basically what you are with with Buxton is you're entirely reliant on him hitting for power and staying on the field, which means that you can wait the 50 picks that 50 picks maybe maybe even more that Pete just recommended a minute ago and take Giancarlo Stanton, and he also is reliant on power and needs to stay on the field. And while Stanton hasn't been you know healthy over his career, he looks like a you know. He looks like the like a statue, or a, a statues. A bad Kissed by God, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right? Compared <Next>. to Buxton, <laughs> right? So I, I'm, uh yeah i I just don't see it. I, there's no chance. There's no chance. I'm spending a top hundred pick on Byron Buxton. I don't think I'm spending a top hundred and fifty pick on him. And as of right now, over the last two weeks, his range he's gone as high as sixty one and as low as one thirteen. So I can confidently say I am not drafting Byron Buxton anywhere because there's just no way at 113 I'm still interested in him. He's That's just too much for a guy who, like, I think people think he's like an MVP candidate if he can just stay healthy, and I don't think that's true anymore. Oh, I, it doesn't even matter if it's true.
2: Like, I, I hate to say it, Fair but, enough, but like, he can't stay healthy. We, we look at last year and, and think like, oh man, poor Brian Buxton. He, he was injured again. That's the second most games he's played in a season in his career. He's played over 92 games once, once in eight seasons. He's stolen more than 14 bases once in eight seasons. It was the same year, 2017. He's not a stolen base threat. He's not a threat. He's not going to stay healthy. I hate to say that. It's such a terrible thing to predict. But like, I'm sorry. Can we be adults? Look at his track record over eight seasons. It's not going to happen. He he's not yeah. cut out for it. Yeah, I mean his his
1: games played over the years. So you know he came up in 2015. He played 46 games. It was debut. Fine. Lots of guys have short debuts. He doubled that in 2016. Played 92, and then he got all the way up to 140. 140 games in 2017 since then 28 87 39 now 39 was in the shortened season but even if you extrapolate that out to like the 90-ish it would have been that's still not good 61 in 2021 and then you said 92 tied for the second most in his career the 382 played appearances was the second most of his career like that's and that's the thing is what you're looking at last year. And this is this was such a good point you made is when people are like, Oh, another injured year for Buxton, man. I just like that wasn't an injured year for Buxton, that yeah, was a, a healthy year. year for Buxton. Yeah, that that's question. as good as it gets. It feeling so, great. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> no, we'll see. Maybe they maybe they let him DH more this year. And so things I don't know, we'll see, but I'm I don't know, I, I'm I'm out. I'm I will see out. from afar. Yeah, I hope he like he's a fun player, so I hope he stays healthy, but yeah. Let's uh, let's turn our attention to prospects. Oh, no, we can't do that. We have to talk about your worst ADP value. The guy I put, I put him in my top 10, and you're like, no, he's not only not in the top 10, he's the worst ADP value out there.
2: Well, to be fair, I think you can be top 10 and and still based on the position and everything else still not be a great value. I would probably have Harris 11th because I think, I think, I think I like him more than a Reina. And I don't know. I'm very high in Kyle Schwarber, but... Look, he was awesome, okay? Like, incredible debut, 21 years old, all that stuff. It was 441 plate appearances. It was a ground ball rate of 56%, which I mentioned earlier. It was a walk rate under 5%. At some, This kid is going to face an adjustment period. It's just going to happen. Ozzie Albies is going to be back. Everybody's worried about Ozzie Albies' position in the lineup. What if Michael Harris struggles? What if he continues to have a bad strikeout rate and a non-existent walk rate? And the team says, "All right, well, we're going to put Aussie Albie's back up, and we're going to start batting Michael Harris eighth. Hey, we're going to take this guy ahead of, of players like Mike Trout. I'm not saying you are because your your rankings would suggest otherwise, but Michael Harris has a has a high of thirteen, a, a, a minimum of thirteen on the NFBC. That's a little crazy yeah. to me." And and you yeah. made the point earlier that if you want him, you have to take him there, right? You have to take him at the at the turn because you're not going to be able to get him late in the third round. But why? Why can't you get him late in the third round? I I feel like we're jumping the gun on him. And it, it that could be a catastrophic mistake.
1: Yeah. And that that is a good example, I think, of where you can lose a draft in the first round, but you can't, or second round, I guess, in this case, but you can't win it. I I think part of what's interesting with Harris is if you look at the ADPs over the last two weeks for outfielders, you've got Four of them going in the top seven Acuna, Judge, J Rod, Tucker. Then you have three more going between ninth and 11th Alvarez, Soto, and Bats. Then you have Tatis Jr. and Trout at 17 and 19. And then Harris is at 25. It's so a little bit of a half round drop from Trout. And then a Rosa Reina is at 36. So there's a full round drop between the 10th outfielder off the board right now, Harris, and the 11th, Rosarena. Then you got Varsho, who is said a different story, and then another almost full round down to Luis Robert at 45. And so I do think, I know I said I was going to fight you on this, but I do think you are right to say you could believe that Harris belongs in that top 10 for a keeper league and still think that his ADP could go down by a round. Like his ADP could drop by 10 spots and he'd all of a sudden be a late third round pick instead of an early third, late second round pick. And that's a, that's a big difference at that point in the draft. And it does make it a little easier to look at that and be like, man, do I really want to take Harris at 25 when I can take a Rosarena at 36 or Robert at 45 or Schwarberg 47? And that's, and I think if it were, do I want to take Harris at 35 or Rosarena at 35? Well, that's an interesting question and I might prefer to take Harris or I would. That's why I put him higher, right? For keeper leagues anyways, I would take him over a Rosarena, but that you don't, you're not, you're not being given that choice. And so I think it's a fair, it's fair to call out his ADP value being off. And I, I do you think
2: there's a little bit of recency bias in play here where Michael Harris jr is going that high and Luis Robert is going like what? 20 picks later. like I I, I somebody needs to sit me down and break me down, break down for me like what exactly is the difference other than four years of age, because they both have strikeout issues. They both don't really take a lot of walks. Luis Robert, though, is about 20% K rate over the last two seasons compared to Harris's 24.3 last season. Like Luis Robert doesn't have the splits issue that Harris does. Harris had an OPS of six forty nine against left handed pitchers. That's not really a problem for Luis Robert. Yeah. Like, I, it feels like a recency bias, we, like Robert hasn't stayed on the field. So now we prefer this new flashy toy. I, I, I don't see a big difference between these two players.
1: I, I think the, I think Robert can't, he hasn't stayed on the field, right? And it's not just a recency bias thing. Like he hasn't stayed on the field. That's a thing sure. that we, that matters. He had a wrist issue last year and that always concerns me with hitters. That That's another little sort of knock against him. I also think. I would project them for relatively similar power. I think Robert ends up with two to three more home runs, something like that, maybe four or five more home runs, but I would bet on a five to seven stolen base gap, if not more in Harris's favor. So I, I think that's the other the other piece of this. I, I think that's probably most of it. I I do think there is some recency bias there. I do think that like people are looking at, you know, Last year, Harris had a 297 average on top of that. I think they likely on average both end up in sort of the 275, 280 range. Not the, not one of them at almost 300 and the other at 284, which is where they were last year. So I, I'm okay with Harris above Robert. I, I think that there are good reasons for that. But I do think they are significantly closer than their ADP as of the last couple of weeks would suggest. Sure. Like
2: an ADP of, of twenty—a difference like if if that yeah, was in it's the three
1: hundreds—it's not that big of a difference. But we're talking this early, like that's that's, that's huge. huge. Yes. So let's uh let's talk prospects. You have got a this guy. I know he's a favorite of yours. So why don't you why don't you talk about the prospect <laughs> you recommended? Uh
2: sure. I I, I mean. So it's Sedan Rafaela of the Red Sox. He catapulted up boards across many different, I don't know, outlets, I guess would be the term. Like he's now on Baseball America. He's finally on their top 100 and he's not just on it. He's like 86th or something, which is just a massive jump for him. I'm kind of like you uh, when it comes to prospects and and keeper leagues and stuff like that. I I just want somebody that's going to perform and... The Red Sox signed Adam Duvall to play center field. Adam Duvall is a good fielder. I don't know how good he is going to be as a center fielder. I think there's a chance that Adam Duval's washed. I do. Uh, he, he took more than one step back last year. He's 34 years old. Yeah, he totally was a fair. limited player to begin with, right? Rafaela though, is not only obviously he, he might start the season at AAA. That was a report I read a couple of weeks ago, but he's a tremendous fielder. And he's he's playing center field. So it feels like at some point there's going to be a promotion for him this season, uh, assuming he continues to progress. Every time he moved up a step, he took a little bit of a step back, struggled a little bit at double A at first, but the numbers still looked awesome. So if he can get his act together and perform well at triple A, I think he'll be there. And if if he he does reach the major leagues, he does profile as a very athletic, very quick, can hit for some power center fielder who could if the Red Sox have a little bit of a tough season, back towards the top of the lineup. So a lot needs to go right. But I'm looking for players who have a chance to make the jump this season. And Rafael, I think, is someone who kind of fits the mold of like, all right, well, the Red Sox could have a need. He's looking pretty good. And he does have some fantasy appeal. And he's he's free in draft. I mean, he's literally free.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I'm Rafael is a an interesting one because everything you said about... Why he could be valuable as soon as this year and certainly by next year is right. But if I'm remembering correctly, he does not need to be added to the 40 man anytime soon. Like maybe not till after next season. That might uh, that sounds right. Yeah. And that is... I'm going to be careful how I say this because I don't want to say anything. It It is it is late on a Saturday night. You have kindly agreed to re- stay up late recording this. I don't want to be mean. There is not a ton of reason for the Red Sox to rush a guy onto the 40-man roster to help them this year. Why? They're going to win it... 105 games. <laughs> don't they want to do well um, in the playoffs? That's. That was what I was getting at was uh, they're going to win so many games that what difference does he make? Hey, man, people are sleeping on the stocks. Like, look, it does
2: not look – the rotation does not look pretty, but there is a universe. There is a – within their potential range of outcomes, I love that phrase in fantasy, the Red Sox do have a pretty – a decently high-end potential range of outcomes on the, on the positive end. There's a lot of veterans and we don't need to go down that road, but uh, I, they, they haven't been too shy to promote guys in the past. Right. Um, No,
1: I, I agree. And I don't, I don't think it's that. I just don't know if I were them, I don't know why I would rush him given the lack of, of immediate value. And so I do think, I think that his, his, fastest path is that they decide at some point late this year that he is going to be a starter on the team next year. And so they want to get him some playing time this year to see how he does. And they decide it's worth adding him to the 40 man for that. If they aren't at that state, then adding him to the 40 man this year is like, you're going to expose somebody to the rule five draft, or you're going to DFA somebody that you might want to keep in order to pull this guy onto the 40 man in order to give him a debut. And I, I just don't think they're going to do that. And so that's, that's my biggest concern, but I like, I like everything about him. And and honestly, the guy I picked as my stash is also, it's also a future play because I don't think this guy's coming up this year either. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, for very different reasons. So the guy I picked is Jackson Churio If you're a prospect fan, you've heard of this guy. He is, you know, one of the top prospects in the game. The guy, like, he he sort of can do it all. He's got a good hit tool. He's got good power. He's got good speed. He should be a decent fielder. He finished last year in Double A for the Brewers. It was only 26 plate appearances, so I would presume he'll be back there this year. I think he probably spends most of the year in Double A. Hopefully earns his way to AAA this year and is in a position to be valuable in fantasy leagues next year. A cup of coffee this year is possible, especially if the Brewers find themselves in the mix. Um, and I, you know, I don't. I, I'm not super confident they're going to like. I don't know. Maybe they'll be in the mix. We'll see. They've got very good pitching. Uh, they were. They should be able to, especially with the added wild cards and stuff. Like, they should be able to contend, and if they can, like, they have some questions in their lineup, right? I mean, I mean, Yelich Ye- is going to be in the lineup for sure in the outfield, but like, Garrett Mitchell is not proven, and he is probably their starting right uh, center fielder right now. Tyrone Taylor looks like they're starting left or uh, right fielder, but like, he's fine. But there's no, re- you know, you could upgrade him. <laughs> Jesse Winker at DH. Was not good last year, and so there, are, there is space for Churio to make an impact this year. I don't think it's likely. Again, I think he likely starts in Double A. I think he needs some time there. He is—he's only 18 years old, like he's almost 19, but still very young. Um, there are some guys like Joey Weimar, Sal Frelick, who who need a look ahead of him, and so he's he's sort of down the pecking order. So this is a guy that really I think is is a he makes more sense in leagues where you can draft him and stash him. If you can draft him and stash him, you should. If, if, you're, if you're in a league where value this year really matters, then like we've talked about in my CBS, my, my, one of my home leagues, I've got this like minor league draft thing where if your guys aren't really ready to go by the start of next season, it's a mistake to draft them. Churio will not be very high up my board in that one. In our listener league, Listener League 2 has a minor league portion of the draft. I like Churio a lot for that one because that one, there's room for you to hold him and stash him for another year. And so we're getting ready to start that draft soon. Now I've just sort of publicly announced that I'm <laughs> interested in Jackson Churio, but yeah, you know, whatever. So be it. I think a lot um, of people will be. Yeah. So let's take another quick break and we come back, get some drafts that have been going on and stuff like that. It's probably worth talking a little bit about any, any interesting stuff going on. So we'll be right back. All right, welcome back and said we're going to talk about some of the drafts we got going on and Pete, I got a I got a bone to pick with you. <laughs> we are literally in the middle of recording. We are we are sitting here, we're at our computers, we are talking to each other. Oh, I know what this and is going. While we are talking, while you are talking here, while you are acting like you're my friend, <laughs> like you're someone who who is kind to me, you outbid me for Pete Fairbanks. In a draft while we were recording, that like, is correct. I'm, I'm hurt. You, you were Very nice hurt. enough
2: to outbid me for Freddie Peralta a solid 15 minutes before we were set to
1: record. So, for what it's worth, I don't, I don't
2: actually <laughs> expect to get Pete Fairbanks for this price. Obviously, $7. none of this matters yeah. because by the time this airs, it'll be he'll oh, be no, long, long gone. gone. Um, if I can get it for seven dollars, though, it's one of the steals of the draft. So, yes, I do apologize, but I don't, I don't think I'm gonna end up with him anyway. Disappointingly.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, so this is in our, our this podcaster league draft. This, this draft, I've mentioned it a couple times on the show already. I'm, I'm very excited about this. So the, the history of this league, history, this league is literally starting right now. The, uh, the backstory <laughs> on this league, we'll say, is DVR, Derek Van Riper from The Athletic we mentioned earlier. He records Rates and Barrels with Eno Saris. Eno has been an auto new player for a long time. Um, Eno is responsible for introducing Niv Shah, who runs Auto New, to David Appleman, who runs Fangraphs. And, like, that partnership exists because of Eno. So Eno's been a, a fan of Auto New for years. He talks about it on the pod occasionally. And DVR has been saying, like, oh, I should really check that out sometime. And so finally, he was like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start a league. Niv reached out to him, Niv and I had a conversation with him and he was like, yeah, I want to do this, but like I need help sort of getting everything set up and running. And he wanted to set up a podcaster league. So I helped him sort of put together a you know list of people who wanted to invite, get the league started and this, this league. So Pete and I are in it. We each have our own team. Sarah Sanchez from Bleed Cubby Blue, who's just a, a, a super person and she's a big Tanner Hauk fan. So <laughs> Pete is, I Think she's the best. She's in this. DVR has got a team. Um, Eno does not have a team. Eno's going to help DVR out a little bit. It sounds like Chris Blessing from Baseball head HQ is in here. Tim Kanick from Fantasy Baseball, who, who's a um, one of the one of the few experienced auto new players in this league. He plays in quite a few leagues. So I don't know if he's done a five by five auto new. This is a five by five. It's a little different. Schwabzey and Jordan from In the Deep, another one of our pitcherless podcast network pods. Uh, as well as uh, Daniel Port, who hosts Long Ball Legacies on the Pitchless Podcast Network. He's got a team. Chris Welsh, also known as Is It the Welsh, has a team. Carlos Marcano from the Baseball Beat Podcast is in here. Chris, actually, I don't even, I feel like I should know Chris's name, but Chris, who runs the At Baseball Pods Twitter feed that basically like tweets out everything you could possibly want to know about baseball podcast and runs that bracket every year. He's in here and then Paul Sporer and Justin Mason have a sleeper in the bus team in this as well. So like this is a a pretty stacked league in terms of just really impressive podcasts and and podcasters and so I'm I'm super excited. We had a live 3-hour live, you know, over the computer, but uh a live 3-hour auction to start this thing off a few days ago and it was it was really fun. I had a really good time with that one. And now we're in this slow draft. And so it's been, I don't know, it's been fascinating. And one of the things I'm really struggling with in this one, and this brings me back to Fairbanks, is I don't i don't play a lot of 5 by 5 auto new. And so closers, like, I don't have a really good sense of what closers are worth. So like in this draft so far, I have paid for, I have an $11 Kenley Jansen, and I have a $10 Paul I, In terms of context, because that, that may mean little to nothing to everybody listening right now, let me give you some context. I'm going to pull up a list of other relievers who have been drafted, slowly but surely. Edwin Diaz went for $27. Emmanuel Classe, $24. Josh Hader, 21, Jordan Romano, 21, Devin Williams, 19, Ryan Helsley, 19, Rizal Iglesias, 18, Felix Bautista, 18, Ryan Presley, 16. Andres Munoz went for 16. I'm very fascinated that I got Seawald for 10 and Munoz went for 16. Once I got Seawald for 10, I was like, oh, I'm going to go like 13, 14 for Munoz. Like I'll overpay for him. It'll be fine. Nope. Didn't get him. Um, (laughs) Camilo Duvall went for 13, Jansen 11. I mentioned Seawald at 10. Yohan Duran at nine. And that's basically it so far. Then you get like uh, James Karinchak at six, Craig Kimbrell at two. So I- I'm actually like I'm very happy with Jansen at eleven. Like I look at Jansen at eleven versus like Ryan Presley at sixteen, Felix Bautista at eighteen, Rizal Iglesias at eighteen. Like I get that he's not as good as them anymore, but he's good enough to hold that job. Like I feel like everybody was like, oh, Kenley Jansen was bad and blah 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 blah. Like dude had 41 saves last year. He had a 3.38 ERA. Like that's not great, but it'll do for a closer. That's fine. So I'm I'm feeling pretty good about about him. he, he struck out 85 hitters and in 64 innings. Like I'm really happy with that. And then like I said getting getting Seawald who you know he's not gonna rack up 40 saves but I bet he get he had 20 last year. I don't see any reason to think he won't have 20, 25 again. He'll put up better rates than Jansen did I'm pretty happy with that. But now I'm just not sure. Like, what are you doing with closers? <laughs> are you... Do you have a plan for... I mean, you've got Jordan Romano. You've got Duvall. You've spent $34 between those two. Do you feel like you need another closer? So, need?
2: No. I, I, I'm pretty confident I could work the... Work the, the the free agency and try and get them as the year goes on. I think when you were reading off those prices, I was like, yeah, I think I, I overpaid the most. I think a lot there 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 might end up being quite a few overpays, but Jordan Romano for twenty one bucks is is the most. But it was worth it for my planning purposes. You know, big picture, this was off the heels of our staff league draft, and I was really disappointed because I, I just had I couldn't bring myself to pay the prices for some of those players went for due to inflation. And I, I left the draft like 50 bucks. Now I, I feel like my roster probably has like $450 worth of players. Um, it's a, it's a, I think it's a pretty good roster, but I was disappointed with that. So I went into this one being like, I'm going to spend, I'm going to get the players that I want. I'm going to lock them down. By the time we shifted from the live to the slow auction, I had spent more money than anybody else. And part of that was making sure I got two closers, that I felt like had decent job security. I mean, the job security for Duvall, I guess is a little bit debatable, but I think he's going to start the year as the closer and run with it. So did I overpay for for Romano? At least I don't think Duvall's much of an overpay. Yes, but I'm comfortable with that. I, I this is Otnew leagues are deep, man, even though they're only 12 teams, they are deep. And if you don't get saves, it's going to be tough
1: to dig yourself out in a Roto in a Roto format. Yeah. And that's, that's where with, with Jansen and Seawald, I feel like I, I really could use another closer and Fairbanks I thought was actually sort of a decent bet to go at a reasonable price because he he'll have to share the job. And so in my head, I was sort of like, look for the, for the 21 bucks that you paid Romano, if I can pay Fairbanks and Seawald around that combined, I will get similar. I will get, I will get twice as many innings of similar production and a similar number of saves. Is sort Look, of how I how I thought about it. So that I, that's sort of the, but but you outbid me, and now I got to figure out how much I want to bid on him. So well, I like the I like the mindset, and I think it's a it's a good one to have. I think you might
2: be underestimating Fairbanks a little bit. I like I, oh, yeah? it's a joke to think that the Rays are going to give somebody the job. But he first of all he is just filthy, and second of all they just bought out his arbitration years, so they don't it, it doesn't matter to them if he. If he has a thirty save season, it's not going to hurt the Rays financially, which is all they ever care about anyway. So, like they could, he could end up with thirty saves. It would be less surprising now than it would have been before
1: they bought out his arbitration years. Makes sense. Yeah, and by the way, uh, I didn't mention him, but because he just went off the board earlier today, but Daniel Bard went for ten dollars, (laughs) Clay Holmes went for fifteen, David Bednar went for sixteen. So that's sort of the. I mean that, that is the range that guys are going for, and there are you know I've I've read off a lot of closers now, and it's so, like I was trying to also look at like okay if I don't get Fairbanks, who's left? Like Alexis Diaz is out there, Scott Barlow, Alex Lang. If we're confident he's the closer in Detroit, maybe. <laughs> Guy, Gallegos is up for auction right now, but I think that's mostly Helsley's job. I believe is Evan Phillips being is he up right now? Or well, they did he just signed Alex Reyes. They did just sign Alex Reyes, but do you think they signed? Evan Phillips went for $7. Daniel Hudson is still out there. I have no idea. No idea who's going to close for that team. Jorge Lopez is still out there. Dylan Floro is still out there. Kyle Finnegan. Love (sighs) me some Dylan Floro. Love me
2: some Dylan Floro. Although AJ Puck going to Miami. Now that's interesting. Puck's there. Barnes is there. I hope my man
1: Floro is safe. I don't know. I we're, we are well past the point where I'm going to buy a closer and be like, yeah, I feel good about that. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. That's for sure. Unless it's so, Petey Fairbanks, I'd get the get the bid in there. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to. The other draft you mentioned, the Fangraphs staff league uh, that you you are participating in, despite not being on the, the Fangraphs staff. Correct, to um, be clear, <laughs> you you and I both. I mean, I didn't even realize how much money you left with, and it looks. I'm looking now. You left. You have forty dollars left on the table. Okay, I thought you have I the stiffy. third. <laughs> you have the third most money available. The Joe Musgrove on team. I like that team name. That's one of my favorite team names. But uh, the Joe Musgrove on, which is Jake Mailot, who is one of the other Otter new writers for Fangraphs. He has fifty-four or forty-four dollars. So he's got four dollars more than you. And then there's Niveni, and, and Niveni and left eighty-seven dollars on the table. Eighty-seven. You felt like it went bad. You should go. I I wrote this up over it at Fangraphs earlier in the week because we just, we actually, like, Niv and I messed this up before the draft even started because basically what happened was we looked at our team and we were like, all right, we've got these, like, three holes we need to deal with. We'll be able to figure this out. And then we went to the draft and we were like, looked at who was available. And we were like, okay, we basically have to get Paul Goldschmidt, Xander Bogarts, and Francisco Lindor, or we're done. We can't like, and we're like, that's never going to happen. Those like the inflation prices on those guys will be way too high. And so we backed off and made this whole other plan. And then those three guys went for $78 total. Oof. And we have, like I said, we have $87 left over. <laughs> so if we had just like, we could have, we could have bid all those guys up. We could have won all those guys, you know, and who knows how it works out. Like maybe if we get involved in the Goldschmidt bidding, instead of stopping at 33, he stops at 43. And then I was right. Then, But like, regardless, we just, we messed it up. We actually sort of executed the plan we went in with really well, but it was the, we, we, you know, what I wrote in the article is effectively, you need to make sure that part of your plan is like, okay, I don't think I can get these guys, but what if I can Like, what happens if these guys start going for less than I think? How do I pivot and adjust to that? And we just we just didn't. And it was uh Yeah. So now we have eighty seven dollars to mess around with. We're trying to figure out what to do. You actually reached out to us about trade talks, right? You wanted to you wanted to get our Schwarber and Wheeler or something, right? Yeah, so I'm I'm sitting on like some
2: prospects that like kind of fit the Chad bill, like guys who highly touted but are in the major leagues. You know, it made me feel better when you said that it was Bogarts, Lindor, and Goldschmidt because I have a million first basemen and a million shortstops. So it's like, unless those dudes were very, very cheap, I wasn't going to go for them. I was targeting pitchers. Right. I got into a little bit of a bidding war with with Eno for Julio Urias, and I was like, am I am I really about to pay forty dollars for Julio Urias? No way. Something else will be up, but I, I it was just. By then, all four major starting pitchers were off the market, and I just didn't feel confident about anybody else. But again, I I look at my roster, and I I love it. So I I want to compete this year. I think this team could compete as is, being $40 under the $400 budget, um, or cap, I should say. But I think I could strengthen it. So I'm all ears on a Wheeler or Schwarber potential deal there.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to we're going to have to get back to you. We've been Nib and I've been having a hard time deciding what route we want to go with our roster. We've been sort of hoping that other people would update their trade blocks and then we'd get a sense of like is anybody else selling? Is anybody else buying and like cuz there are cases where there's there are aspects of our team from which we have enough upside depth that I'd be willing to opportunistically buy. But it needs to be the right opportunity, and we haven't really seen it yet. And so then we're getting into this like, okay, do we think our pitching is good enough that we can make a trade with Pete where he gets Wheeler and we actually get like two or three pieces that are future value but could help us today? And you, like I said, you've got those guys, so we're sort of we're – we're kicking the tires on a bunch of stuff and trying to figure out what we want to do, but – yeah, it's just so
2: much regret because like now it's like I'm whether it's Wheeler or somebody else. Like I was kicking the tires on Corbin Burns. I don't think that's going to happen. It's like I could have just had if I just paid up for Bieber or Urias or Scherzer or Degrom. I could have just had them and kept all of my mm-hmm. other assets. Instead, I'm sitting here with a ridiculous amount of money, and uh yeah, it's a bummer. i <laughs> All those April breakouts. If I don't make a trade, man, I'm in a roster all of them between yeah. the two of us, anybody that breaks out in April, they're going to be on either your roster
1: or my roster. So one last thing that we should talk about. We are our two listener leagues. We have our other new listener league and we have our two fan tracks, listener leagues. Keepers were due this week. Um, I finally got the last sort of updated information today. And so I'm going to get that out. But one of those two leagues were ready to draft Monday All of the keepers are in. Have you looked at that? Do you have anything that sort of surprised you? I I haven't looked at it only because I haven't figured it out. Uh, Do I just click on the draft room? If you go to the draft room, you'll see where players are already slotted in. Okay, and
2: that's League 2, right? That's the head-to-head, or am I off? The head-to-head, yes. No, you're right. Head-to-head. Yeah, I'm going to have to go through that. I had some tough decisions to make, uh, and I don't know if I made the right decisions, but what worked for me. Sorry, It's us. not league two. My bad. It's, it's league one. Okay. So that's where that's the so Roto. That's the Roto where we did the, um, so I had no hard decisions to make because we did the draft in that one. And that was, that was pretty straightforward. I was tempted to maybe mm-hmm. not keep somebody, uh, looking at the draft board right now, it's no surprise that like most people tried to keep a player who went in that 28th rounds to get those picks. There's definitely some awesome values down there. We do see like. Parker Semien being kept there in the, the first round i mean that's yeah
1: that's both was surprised there were there were three first round picks three teams that kept a player giving up their first round pick and i and honestly, even the three second rounds like i think people were too aggressive i think i think some teams were too aggressive about keeping their best players instead of their best values
2: yeah yeah for sure i mean that that's I, I wouldn't have kept any of these play I mean, these are our listeners. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Any of these players going the first three rounds, I wouldn't have kept a single one of them. That the weird. only tempting one is Sandy, but it's
1: a it's uh tempting. I think Gaussman was a little tempting. So Gaussman um, for a third, though. Yeah. Okay. I can All understand right. it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean he's, it. He, he is awesome. So Yeah, and I think I mean if I go I'm gonna let's let's take a look at NFBC ADP is a a bad example for this because it's not the same, right? Uh, yeah, Gaussman for a third, you're right, that's a little aggressive. Arenado, did Arenado get picked for a third, kept for a third? He, yeah, you're right, that's actually that one's okay, that's That's actually a pretty good good. one, yeah, that's really good, yeah. Lindor and you know, Lindor in the second, fine, I can sort of understand, I I, I can see some of it, but I, I think. I think some of these teams were were more interested in keeping their best players rather than their best values. I'm also looking at this and realizing because we did, because of the way we did our, our draft order selection, you have the first pick in this draft, don't you? Oh man, I do. That is that is you beautiful. you're the you are the Blue Sox. That would be me.
2: And and I I have the second pick. You have the second pick. My i i pick in the first nine rounds. My first keeper off the board is a tenth round uh, O'Neal Cruz, which I I love. So all of a yeah. sudden, you know, you,
1: you, we had to break up our nice roster, but I'm feeling pretty good here. Yeah, I, I have the only pick in my first ten that I'm giving up is a fifth to keep Jazz, so I'm okay with that too. Yeah, I'm, I've been I've been messing around with with the draft board with my draft board a little bit and trying to figure out. What I'm gonna do, oh, I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do day. right now.
2: You know what I'm gonna do right away with the first overall pick? I am going to take a man by the name of Jose Ramirez. Are you I, to plug up third base? Yeah, I think so.
1: Interesting, yeah. I'm not, I, gonna, uh,
2: we'll see, but uh, like, I you know, it's a it's not a long way
1: away. I'm not gonna hold you to that, although by the time anybody hears this, they may know because this thing starts. That morning. That's true. And and I'm looking, I'm realizing, I, I actually, I have three, I'm already keeping three outfielders and two middle infielders. And that doesn't include Jazz, who is both. <laughs> and so when I start looking at the draft, the t- you know, the top of the draft board, and it's like, do I want... Like, do I want Trey Turner, who's a guy who I like taking first overall? This is weekly lineup, so like, Otani is not a consideration for me with one of the top two picks in a weekly lineup setup. Even though he is, even though you get both versions of Otani, I just, I have to make a decision each week which one I'm using. And so, eh. now I'm, now I'm wondering if maybe I should be annoyed that you're taking Ramirez because you actually really (laughs) fit my roster well right now. The way I've got my roster sort of set up at the moment, I'm assuming Jazz at second, Tovar at short, and Andre Jimenez at middle infield. And then I've got Santander, Newt Bar, and Harris as my three outfielders so far. I have you looked at yeah, the I don't know. at Fantrax's
2: rankings? What what's going on here? Rafael Devers is the hundred and seventh ranked player. Really? Uh, is something wrong with like, Cole Irvin is ranked fifty-three for me right now. So I I, I don't know what is going on here, but this cannot possibly be their ranking. So that is gonna throw me off. So maybe maybe I will change my mind when it comes to Jose Ramirez when I actually see everybody that is truly available. But um yeah.
1: So I'm looking at their rankings right now. They have Jose first, Turner second, Kyle Tucker third. Okay, yeah. So 24th is... fourth. Minor crazy looking. Do you have like some weird sorting on it?
2: Uh, I I don't think
1: so. No. Huh. Yeah. I'll figure it out. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, looking at this, I think one of the things I have to ask myself, given who I kept, I'm looking at who you kept. Like you kept Cruz. You kept a handful of pitchers. Then you have Kirk. You have a bunch of pitchers. My goodness. You kept so many pitchers. Six I didn't even realize it. Eight or seven of my nine. With, yeah. You had, so you have Kirby, Lodolo, Gonsolin, Then Devin Williams is a closer McKenzie Severino and Duvall as a closer. So that's two closers and five starters along with a shortstop and a catcher. Yep. Interesting. So, and I, this is, this is, we're we're back. We're back in form. We're back to where we're supposed to be because I kept (laughs) Framber Valdez and Tyler Glass now and David Bednar. And then I have six bats, the three outfielders and the three middle infielders. I don't know. I, I feel like I have some options here because I I kept a decent amount of speed between Harris and Jimenez and Jazz. Like I kept a decent amount of speed, and so I sort of feel like I don't have to worry about that. I mean, I'm going to need speed at some point. I don't have enough, right? You, maybe you never have enough speed, but like in a in a roto season long league, like I don't. I can't just like rely on the speed I have. But like, I was taking a look. I, I set some targets for myself for what I need to have by the end of this draft. And I figured I need to have about 120 stolen bases. That would put me in the top two or three in stolen bases from based on what this league was last year. Based on projections, I have 85 in my lineup already. About 20, 25 from Jazz, 10 to 15 from Tovar, 20, 25 from Jimenez, 20 ish from Harris. Santander chips in one new bar chips in five ended up I basically calculated out to be about 85. If I only need 35 more steals from the rest of the draft, I don't feel like I have to focus on that with my first pick, which opens up the possibility of just saying, forget it. I'm taking Aaron judge. Yep. And so I don't know. I'm, I'm we'll see. We'll see. I have made no decisions. I'm I, I don't know. Well, I'm wondering if I'm just, I don't know. It's relieving to not
2: have to worry about stolen bases. So at least there's that because yeah. it is a rotisserie league. So stolen bases and saves, you can't punt them, at least not in my opinion. Um, that's right. why I wanted to make sure. I mean, it was a while ago. I don't know if you remember the draft, but I wanted to make sure I got that Devin Williams. And I was, I was yeah. really pumped to get that one and had no problem taking even Camilo Duvall a little bit later. but now. My my hitting needs to be filled in, um, which kind of makes yeah. drafting a little bit easier. You know, like, I, yeah, you know, it's a target. Exactly. But uh, man, uh, Alejandro Kirk's upside is is kind of limited. You know, I, I think he's very good for what he is. And then there's yeah. Odeo Cruz who could finish
1: all over the place. I mean, I could have the worst offense in the league, so I got some work to do here. So let me ask you this. You come up in the second round. You're picking you know, end of the second top of the third. Fernando Tatis Jr. is still on the board. You taking him? Uh
2: man, it's roto, so it does matter that he's missing a month. Probably not. There's so many, so many names here. It, it would be, it would be a tough call. Maybe, maybe because my my offense at up to that point has only so much upside relative to everybody else's, and I might feel right. like I need to to fill that gap. But and I, I, to be fair, as I said earlier, I don't view Tatis as risky as everybody else. But there's no. Sure. Risk involved. Like the fact he's going to miss a month is, is that is what it is. That's not a risk thing. That's just a fact. So that's just a fact.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. Right. let see. Well, by the time we record again, that draft will probably be complete. It's it'll by the time, by the time you're listening to this, that draft is probably started. And so it'll probably be over by then. Uh, and so in our next episode, we will we'll have an update on that draft. We should have our other listener league up and running by then to get that draft. We'll have some new news on that. We'll let you know more about this podcaster league, all sorts of stuff going on, but we've been going for a good long time here. So we're gonna let you get on with your day. We're going to get on with our night. Pete's got 12 minutes left in his night. So <laughs> let you go before it's already Sunday. But with that, thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you in a couple weeks.